0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Elon Musk's chaotic reign at Twitter is fueling worries that racist trolls and their sympathizers are feeling more powerful than ever on the platform. So what's the best way for people to protect themselves and fight back against digital disinformation now?
1: Everything that you see on social media, whether it's something that's trending or, you know, something that may appear to be popular, that you got to delve a bit deeper
0: Digital disinformation and how to stop it, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The aftermath of Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter has shaken the worlds of business, media, and politics. With trolls returning to prominence, advertisers backing out, and the already shaky discourse on the platform turning increasingly poisonous. But is there a way to keep social media honest, even when the people that run it aren't? And what's the best way to fight the spread of disinformation there and protect the people who are targeted by it? Joining us to discuss it is Christopher Boozy. He's the CEO and founder of Bot Sentinel, a company that identifies and tracks disinformation and targeted attacks on social media platforms. Christopher Boozy, welcome to A Word. Thank you for having me here. Tell me a little bit about Bot Sentinel. What led you to found Bot Sentinel? What does it do day to day? What is it? I mean, it sounds very cool. It sounds like something that should be rolling out with Autobots and Decepticons. But uh, to us laymen out there, what does Bot Sentinel do?
1: It's a platform uh, for people who are primarily on Twitter um, to use it to be able to identify accounts that are, you know, inauthentic problematic, disruptive. So, you know, they go to our website, they enter in a uh, Twitter handle, and it gives them a score. And the score is anywhere between zero to 100, zero being, you know, an account that is normal and you know, using Twitter as intended, to 100 where it's considered problematic. They could also use one of our um, mobile apps, whether it's Android, iOS, or browser extension. And what that does for them is it also shows them the scores in real time. So as they're engaging on Twitter, they come across an account that's disruptive or problematic. They can block it. But I I founded Bot Sentinel, um, Primarily because after 2016, everyone on social media was calling each other bots because they just didn't agree with each other. So I said, look, it has to be a better way for folks to be able to know if someone is either just you know, not agreeing with them or someone that is you know, out there to cause some type of havoc or whatever.
0: What has Elon Musk's takeover done in regards to the proliferation of bots and misinformation, Now I know that's we're, we're going to be going into various versions of that. But just like like right off the rip, the moment that it was announced that he was going to buy five months ago, I noticed I had like a dip in followers and things got a little bit more aggressive. Then there were a couple months where I was like, OK, he can't afford it. And now he he does actually own it over the last, say, month or so. What has that done to disinformation?
1: As soon as he announced, and uh, we had published something about this, um, you know, there was an influx of r- right wing accounts that started following uh, right wing politicians. Um, and at the time, uh, you know, the previous owners of Twitter and CEO and things like that, um, you know, they had said that you know it was organic. Uh, it was not. You know, we saw tens of thousands of, ca- of accounts just flooding in. And then when it, it seemed like uh, he wasn't going to purchase it when he said, "Hey, you know, I, you know, the, the deal is on hold. The deal is off." Uh, it it stopped a bit. It you know there was a, a lull there, and then when it became uh, you know obvious that he was, and then he did, we saw that influx again of these these right wing accounts that started just following all these other right wing accounts. The one thing that doesn't get discussed a lot is that a lot of left. Leaning accounts started deactivating. The, you know they got frustrated that he's going to own the platform, and then he did end up owning the platform, and we saw an exodus of left-leaning accounts. Now the reason why that's a problem, you know, you, you have to have balance within any platform. We're at the point where we have a lot of right-wing MAGA accounts, and also a lot of quote-unquote bots and trolls that are now flooding the platform. And you having fewer legitimate folks on the platform who are there to engage, you know, in the way that the platform is intended. So it just seems like, you know, if you're on Twitter now, it just seems a heck of a lot more chaotic. And it also seems like, you know, the trolling has increased significantly.
0: What was the piece of disinformation that made you say, I mean, you said yeah, 2016, but what was the misinformation campaign that you saw that drove you to say, OK, I need to create this?
1: Before the 2016 election, during you know, the process of uh, selecting uh, the candidates, we saw that there was a lot of folks that were going after Hillary Clinton even then. But once she became the nominee, we saw a lot of misinformation. disinformation. Many of us in tech just didn't think that it would cause any harm, to be quite frank. I know I didn't. Um, I didn't think that it would be able to sway an election in the way that A lot of folks now believe it did. So after the 2016 election and still seeing this happening, I said, look, there has to be something out there for folks to be able to use it and and, and look and know that, hey, this is missing disinformation." So that's what started it. However, going through this and doing the research and releasing uh, these apps and things like that, I also realized, like, look, there has to be a bit more. We also have to educate the media because the media also just don't understand, or at least at that time didn't understand what was happening. And that's how, you know, the reporting side of Bot came about.
0: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on the rise of digital disinformation. This is A Word with Jason Johnson, stay tuned. this is jason johnson host of a word slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else i want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners if you've discovered a word and like what you hear please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com thank you You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking about disinformation in the digital age with Christopher Boozy, a bot sentinel. We all know that digital disinformation can have serious consequences on politics. But what disinformation campaigns did you see heading into the midterms a couple of weeks ago? And are there still sort of lingering bots or disinformation that you see now heading into the runoff with Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker in the state of Georgia?
1: So, yeah, we definitely saw, you know, accounts trying to dissuade people from voting. You know, so you would see stuff like, hey, uh, you know, I'm not going to vote because why should I even vote? Because my vote is not going to matter. You know, the Republicans are going to win anyway, or, you know, the, the whole system is rigged, so why am going to take part in this. I can't say that, let's say, Black folks were targeted more than, you know, Caucasian folks or whatever, but- we definitely saw an increase in these type of accounts. Just targeted anyone that was talking about voting and, you know, being excited and enthusiastic about voting, you will see a number of accounts that will come in and consistently say this. Luckily this time around, we don't think it affected turnout or, you know, Just just the overall election as it did in the past. And that's good news. But it does not mean that we should just let our guard down and say everything is fine. Just time. It did not work as well as it it has in the past. But, you know, the bad guys, they learn how to adapt. And we have to be prepared for 2024. Now, going into the runoff. Uh, We're not seeing as as much of it, and and to be quite frank right now, especially on Twitter, there's just so much happening on Twitter right now, but we're not seeing that level of folks trying to put out misinformation about the runoff.
0: One of the things that I also uh, sort of notice online, and it's been a big conversation, especially because of Musk and his takeover, is that misinformation can be neutral. But it seems like, or at least as an outsider, it seems like a lot of misinformation is targeted specifically at black folk, right? Whether it's political season, whether it's about Kamala Harris or something else like that. Is there a sort of racial focus of a lot of disinformation? Uh, Or does it just seem like because African-Americans play such a critical role in activism and and in left-wing politics in America, that that's why it's happening?
1: Well, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about elections, absolutely. We saw that in 2016. We saw it in 2018. I mean, we've pretty much seen it in every election. The reason behind that is if you're into politics, you know right away that, look, the Democrats depend on the black vote. I mean, that's just, that's just fact. So if you can keep Black folks or, you know, reduce the number of Black folks that are voting by putting out missing disinformation, you know, you can sway elections in maybe certain uh, congressional districts or even a general presidential election. The fact that we didn't have turnout that we expected in 2016 in terms of Black people voting did play sort of a role in in, in Hillary losing. So people figure, you know, if we're going to get one candidate out or whatever it may be, the best way to do it is to target black people. But when it comes to COVID and things like that, um, we do see it being a bit lopsided, but to be quite frank, um, you know, we've seen COVID you know, disinformation being targeted at pretty much everyone, you know, whether it be suburban you know, white mothers or black men or women you know, in, in urban areas. Uh, it's it's across the board uh, when it comes to the COVID stuff. So I, I just think it depends on you know what we're talking about. But you know, with Democrats, I believe in the future what they would need to do to protect voters from this stuff is to make them more aware that hey, you are you are a target that you are being targeted online with misinformation, and just be more I don't know proactive in educating uh, uh, voters about what's happening on these platforms.
0: One of the other things that I hear a lot is we have Black Twitter, right? So Black Twitter is this place where Black folks have, you know, certain kinds of conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And and some people believe that Black Twitter is sort of a force for good, right? It blunts disinformation, but it can also be co-opted and manipulated. How have you seen Black Twitter affected by misinformation and especially the takeover of elon musk over the last month has it been more people dropping off has it been more subject to disinformation has it been a wailing and gnashing of teeth what's happened to black twitter in your view since elon's takeover
1: before elon was a problem we call it something you know blackface where you would have accounts created by folks who are not black to to cause chaos and disruption and things like that, because anyone can create an account and anyone can use any type of photo. When it was Black Lives Matter, for example, we would see hundreds, sometimes thousands of fake accounts That would insert themselves into the the conversation just to cause chaos. But as we looked further, we would see that these accounts were not operated by black folks. Now, in terms of Elon, across the board, whether it's black Twitter, (laughs) political Twitter, you know, cat and dog Twitter, you know, we're seeing people say enough is enough, like I don't wanna be part of this. But specifically to, to your question, we haven't really seen like, let's say an increase in, in disinformation after uh, Elon taken over with black Twitter. But what we have noticed is folks are scared. They're feeling like it was bad before Elon, you know, uh, took over Twitter and black folks felt like sometimes that Twitter just was not taking their concerns seriously um and now that elon is there people feel like okay where are we gonna go like there's no place for us to go to it's not more disinformation but there's there's clearly something there that you can feel in terms of folks being scared black folks being scared
0: we're going to take a short break we come back more about the growth of digital disinformation with christopher Boozy. this is a word with jason johnson stay tuned You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the dangers of disinformation with Christopher Boozy, of Bot Sentinel. So can you give us some examples of how you've seen mainstream or legacy newspapers, television networks, and everything else like that amplifying disinformation? And then going forward, what are some of the things that they should do so that they're not being fooled by the banana in the tailpipe again? Because I've seen it happen and it's frustrating when you're sort of trying to combat and you're telling people sort of editorially. You realize that's fake, right? Like there aren't that many people excited about this. It's being amplified, but you're still running a story on.
1: Well, okay. So the first thing, you no, know, it's really easy to manipulate trends on Twitter, um, and that's why Twitter is the go-to platform for and misinformation because the bad guys know. Look, you have all your journalists, you have people who, who are extremely influential. On Twitter. So if you can get something trending, more than likely, you're going to have at least one journalist that's going to write something about it. I guess the recent example would be the whole red wave stuff. You know, folks believing that this huge red wave was coming, um that never materialized and that was being amplified a lot on twitter and also by folks in the media i think that's a great recent example of this happening i just think journalists need to to be aware that everything that you see on social media whether it's something that's trending or you know something that may appear to be popular that you got to delve a bit deeper i understand the way the news works now and sometimes it just things move so quickly That it's just like, hey, we got to get the story out. But I just think journalists need to take a step back and do a bit more research, especially when it comes to reporting on things that are happening on social media.
0: Can you think of some examples, either in the people who you've covered, people who you work for, even your own life, where misinformation was actually dangerous, where it could have been kind of a life or death issue for you or, or other people you know?
1: Right. So uh, I would just start off by saying, you know, the folks who think missing disinformation um, is not that serious, really don't have a clue. Here's the reason why if we can't agree on basic facts as, as, you know, society, humans and things like that. Um, you know, we're, we're headed down a slippery slope. So when you have, for example, missing, disinformation about COVID, there are folks who believe that we could have got a handle on this a lot quicker and we could have had a better response. If we all had agreed, this disease is dangerous and here's the way that we could prevent things. But because we had missing, disinformation out there saying that it was just like the flu, you don't need to mask up, all vaccines are dangerous. It just took us getting a handle on And we still, in in honesty, really still don't really have a handle on it yet. Same thing with climate change. You know, we have folks out there who believe that what we're witnessing, what we're all witnessing is just natural. And it is not. And scientists are telling us like, look, we have a problem. Like we, or we, we may be headed to something that we cannot recover from. And yet, and still you see the missing disinformation about, climate change, that it's a hoax, that, you know, don't believe it, you know, everything's going to be fine. So when we have this in our daily lives, and now we're seeing even this with elections across, you know, across the globe, where folks are not believing the results of elections, it becomes a thing where it's just like, like, what do I believe now? Like, you know, what am I believing? I look at the news, the news is telling me one thing, I go online, I see something else. It's not a big deal. It, it, It is a big deal. The Meghan Markle stuff is is, is another example where folks who are putting out disinformation about her and her husband, you know, the kids, for example, not being real, that they were fake and that, uh, you know, she's not really black, just a, a bunch of crazy stuff. And we just learned there were real threats against her, that there were individuals that were targeting her. And this is something that we had put out in the report Um, Having that type of missing disinformation out there dehumanizes the target. You know, it makes people feel like and it's the same thing that happened with Hillary Clinton. You know, it makes people feel like, oh, this is not a real person. This is not a human being. And that's dangerous because once again, you have folks now in the real world who who target individuals. So I just you know, I I want your listeners to know, like missing disinformation is a serious problem and it's something that we need to get a handle on.
0: As somebody who's an expert in this field, what's your theory about why Elon Musk bought Twitter and what his actual plans are? Because charging $8 for verification didn't work. So what do you think his his idea was? And what's his goal?
1: There is a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And I'm like you, you know, it's the simplest answer is usually the correct one. But even the simplest answer doesn't make much sense when he spent $44 billion on a platform. So if he spent $44 billion on the platform to wreck the platform, Other platforms are going to spring up and we we see that now. I mean, we're, we're even working on something so that that's not going to work. And eventually there will just be another Twitter. So the next, you know, conspiracy theory is that, um, he's just not that bright. Doesn't make much sense to me why someone would, you know, buy a platform and then like fire half the people within, you know, a week or two and not understanding, you know, the platform itself and like who should stay and who should go. You're just like willy nilly firing people, you know, something else that you stated about the $8 thing. Once again, it just doesn't make any sense. Like why would you give a bunch of people blue check marks? And we saw like the chaos that caused where people were making these fake accounts, getting verified, you know, just Spending eight bucks on it and making, for example, uh, Eli Lilly making you know the top price not crash but go down significantly. I I, I don't know. Like I really, I wish I did, but I, I just don't know what's going on with that.
0: I always try to end the podcast with something like super optimistic or at least give people hope. What are some of the alternatives? That may pop up to Twitter because if you had asked me twenty years ago, was MySpace ever going to be replaced? I would have said, no, of course not. MySpace in some form will be around forever. No, MySpace is gone. So, what may come in and take over for Twitter, and how long might that process take?
1: So, I'm going to be a little biased here. You know, the platform that we're working on, uh, Sociable, I think, is going to be the replacement. And the reason why I say that, I'm going to explain why. Um, you know, you have other stuff out there. You have Mastodon. You have a lot of f- folks that are uh, amping up Post News and uh, Hive. None of those have the feeling of Twitter. You know, one of the problems with these platforms is it's the same folks building them. So I believe we need something that's different. And that's the reason why you know, we're, we're throwing our hat into this whole thing. Because as I saw people were trying to go like to say, let's say Mastodon, they go there and they're just like, it's so confusing. And it it just doesn't have the same feel Uh, with, with post news. Although I haven't tried it, a few journalists and people that I know have issues with it. And one of the issues someone and I retweeted him the other day, you know, he said, he's a journalist. He said, it's, it's too white. this, this was a white man saying the platform was too white. I do believe whether it's something that we're working on or something that someone else is working on, I do believe there will be a replacement. And that's why I don't, believe the conspiracy theory that must, you know, purchase Twitter to destroy it because people will find another platform. And as you stated, look, everyone was on MySpace before, and then they wasn't. And then, you know, everyone was on Facebook. And now, like you said, I don't use Facebook, and I don't know anyone else who really uses Facebook. Twitter probably will not be as influential as it is now, a year from now. And I'm sure there's going to be a couple of platforms that are going to replace it. And then eventually... Everyone will decide on, you know, what's going to be the main platform.
0: Christopher Buzzi is the founder and CEO of Bot Sentinel. Thank you so much for joining me today on a word.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be
0: here. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula, Ben Richmond, is Slate's Senior Director of Operations for Podcasts. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for word.
1: Judy was boring.
2: Hello.
0: Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.